Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest installment in our series in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, as together we study chapters 40 through to 66. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Deeper. We are so pleased that you have decided to join us and to tune in. Um, with me today is Pastor Rod Bailey. Hi Rod. Hey Grace. How you going? Yeah, How's going How's your well. week been? Oh, not too bad, not Pretty too bad. Pretty busy really. There's, there's been a bit going on. Lots but, of stuff uh, happening. Well, thank you for making the time to meet with me today and to answer some of these questions um, that we have about your talk on Sunday. Uh, before we get there, though, can you please remind us, help us out, what was the passage about on Sunday and um, what did you talk to us about? Yeah, so we're drawing towards the end of our series in Isaiah. Uh, we were looking at Isaiah 55. My big question was, uh, how do we respond to Jesus? Uh, he was identified as the the servant um, of God in the previous week's one when we looked at Isaiah 53. And so there's a focus again on, well, what does it look like in response to this work that God has done through this one he sent? So Isaiah 55, um, the three points in response to, uh, yeah, how do we respond to Jesus was firstly, um, it looks like our thirst being quenched. Um, people are searching for something. Um, this is what they are searching for. Uh, secondly, it means turning away from our old life. And then thirdly, uh, focusing on heaven. Yeah, cool. Well, that was nice and succinct. Um, let's try and like tease some of those things out there. Um, this question, I guess, comes from that second point of yours. Um, and I guess it's really directed for those of us who are already Christians and have repented and we have... Um, converted to Christianity, we have given our lives to Jesus, um, why is it necessary now then for us to live a life of repentance um, and to not just repent that one time, but to uh, continue in a life of repentance? Mm. Well, repentance, uh, in the Greek, it's the word metanoia. Um, noia is where we get our English word nous or thinking. Um, okay. And so, and then the meta is change, so it's change of mind. That's right. what repentance is, change of mind. Um, and so in a sense, yeah, when we first become a believer, we're acknowledging that we've been going the wrong way. We want to turn away from our old life, turn back to God. Um, and so we've changed our mind. Uh, we've stopped rejecting God's ways. We now want to live his way, give up things um, that we've done in the past that were not according to God's will. It's been laid out in his word. Um, and so obviously there's a big change of mind at that initial point of a person becoming a Christian. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, there's this ongoing process in our lives. And we saw this in term two in our series on exalt the life of worship. That We had a week on confession where we looked at 1 John 1 and this idea that we're called to confess our sins. There's this ongoing repentance uh, role in the life of the believer mm. because, one, we're flawed and sinful and this side of heaven we're going to struggle even as we're hopefully growing um, as God's spirit does its work to change us. Um, but there are things that we're going to keep battling that we need to repent of. Um, and so it's an ongoing process. If we didn't acknowledge those things as we continue to w go through our Christian walk, then there's a sense in which, um, yeah, we're sort of, um, 
we can stagnate or we can fail to grow as we might because um, we're now called to have God's mind. Um, that is, we want to be holy because he is holy. We want to live as he's calling us to live. Um, and so we're now on this track of growing in godliness for the rest of our earthly life. And that means putting off old things and putting on new ways as the Spirit you know, changes us. And so that's the language that Ephesians and Colossians use. Put off your old life, put on the new. But to do that, you have to acknowledge what is old that you're still struggling with or that is still causing you to stumble. And you need to get rid of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not repenting and if we're not bringing those things before God and praying and asking for his help, then it will really be hard at this process of sanctification or growing because we need to keep dealing with stuff. We've got to kill Mm -hmm. off sin, as it were, in our life. And that takes conscious, intentional effort and prayer. And, And so if I'm not... Uh, continuing in repentance and faith after I've become a believer, then it's it's really going to be hard to um, give attention to that process of change that I say I'm committed to now. Mm, okay. So that first time that we do that, when we first repent, that's really um, changing our position before God. Mm. And then thereafter, it's more about growing in holiness. Exactly. Yeah. So our we we're not justifying ourselves over and over and getting a right standing before God by repenting. You know, I fail to repent of a sin. Oh, I'm not right with God. I'm going to lose my salvation. No, not at all. It's just part of this growth in godliness, as you said. And so, um, it's just about um, yeah, committing to that wholeheartedly rather than just wandering a bit in my Christian life and not really growing as God's calling me to. Mm-hmm. And so you just clarified that. Um, we don't need to do that to be saved or like the first time we do, but ongoing then we don't. So does that mean that, um, you know, if I've sinned today and I've forgotten about it or I wasn't even aware of it and therefore haven't repented of it, Mm. is that okay? Do I need to be really worried about all of the things all of the time? No. So, yeah, we're not doing it to... um, So this was the problem, obviously, for some of the early reformers like Martin Luther. They were so worried about this because they thought... They had to repent of every little thing and if they overlooked anything that mm-hmm. they'd lost their right standing with god they were no longer justified and so they were in sin and if they died at that moment unrepentant then they would go to hell and this kind of yeah, right. fearfulness yeah. of course removes all assurance and there's mm-hmm. great you know stress non-stop so that's not the intention of this ongoing confession or repentance um it's rather yeah just highlighting our need to continue to grow and to put off things and to keep bringing those things before God because he's the only one that can help us. So um, it's not for my justification, my right standing with God. It's just my ongoing sanctification or or growth as a believer, um, growth in my holiness. So I need God's help and I'm just acknowledging that and I'm continuing to work at it. Now, I may overlook things. Often we're more aware of sins of commission, that is things we have actively done that are wrong and we know it. But I think we often struggle with sins of omission, as the some of the catechisms put from the reformers, you know, things we failed to do right. and we've not even realized, you know, I didn't do what I might have did to help that person today or yeah. so on. Um, so we can't constantly be worrying about such things, but I, I think we can... We can bring all of that together in a catch-all prayer if we want as we come before God. Um, but he's not looking for us to tick every box. I think um, the the role of the Holy Spirit is to point out where we need um, to grow. He'll convict us 
when we're turning away from God's word. And so I think when God places something on our heart that, ooh, I failed in that, God will immediately make that aware, mm. you know, we'll be aware of that. And when we're, that's pressed in on us like mm. that by the Holy Spirit, we need to deal with that. Yeah. You know, that's what God's showing us. Raise that, confess that. Don't ignore that prompting. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. That's helpful. Um, switching gears now, you mm. in your talk um, referenced this idea of covenant. Um, and I think you made some references to Abraham and Noah and Moses. Mm. Um, and those are obviously different parts of the Old Testament that we haven't encountered mm. in Isaiah. So I'm wondering if you can um, wind back a little bit and clarify for, for me. Firstly, what is covenant? Mm. And secondly, um, why does it matter what God said to those guys thousands of years ago? Yeah, good questions. Uh, firstly, um, a covenant is a formal agreement or contract between two parties. In this case, in the Bible, as these covenants we're speaking about as a covenant between God and a person or his people collectively, uh, the nation of Israel. And so there's a series of these covenants or agreements that God makes with his people um, throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so, yeah, some would say there's an implicit covenant at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Um, and there's the covenant with Noah even, of uh, which is referenced in Isaiah 54, that God promises a rainbow um, as a sign that he will not judge the world by flood again. Right. Um, and then you get the particular covenants with the nation of Israel through the patriarch Abraham. So uh, circumcision, which is... Um, well, there's the initial promises to Abraham in Genesis 12, but in Genesis 15 and 17, it's reiterated. And with that is given the sign of circumcision. Um, and then, of so course... So what was the agreement? Yeah, so, um, well, this is the thing. We'd, uh, particularly when we talk about um, the agreement with Abraham, um, usually an agreement or a contract, you know, let's say it's just two people or two businesses in modern-day Australia... Um, you know, they might shake hands or, or sign off an agreement. You do this and I'll do that and here's our agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting thing about the, you know, the covenant with Abraham is that it's a one-sided handshake. Um, God announces <laughs> what's going to happen and then he sort of seals the deal and Abraham's kind of this passive party yeah. to the agreement. Um, God says, I'm going to bless you. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you a land, give you offspring, going to bless you. Um, but, you know, I, I call you to... Um, you know, hold to my promise of these things and to obey my word to you. Um, so, yeah, there's not really, um, I guess, a, something that Abraham enters into himself. Certainly he's not initiating the other half. He just agrees uh, to God's plan. Um, it's perhaps um, a bit that way too with David. So um, um, after Abraham, there is the Sinai covenant, so Moses giving the law. And this is a more um, uh, conditional covenant, it seems, that you know God has saved them from Egypt, but he's calling them to live as his people under his rule. And so he gives them the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but a whole lot of other laws that follow that. And if they're to be his people, they're to obey his commands to them. And if they don't, um, then the covenant will be broken. And so there are covenant blessings and covenant curses for whether you follow through on your part or not. Mm -hmm. um, but then with David and in 2 Samuel 7, there's the whole promise of a king that will come from his family line, 
which we understand is ultimately Jesus, who is in the line of David, tribe of Judah, um, and that doesn't get fulfilled, obviously, till Christ's birth and um, in the New Testament. But, um, yeah, there are these covenants, and they're part of God's unfolding plan of salvation. Um, we see that he is going to work through one man, Abraham, and then his descendants, the nation of Israel. He then makes a covenant with that nation at Sinai, having brought them out of Egypt and formed them for the first time. He then, uh, I guess, extends that or gives an, another aspect of that covenant through one particular king, that there'll be somebody in that particular tribe or line within Israel who will one day come and be the perfect king that David and no one else could be, and that will be Jesus. So there's this expectation of this Christ or Messiah that will come. And I guess as um, why is all that important? Well, it's because when we think about things today, we think, well, I'm, you know, I'm not in a covenant as Israel. I wasn't there to hear the Ten Commandments. I'm, I don't live under the law. I now live under grace. Um, Jesus has come. But we need to see that all these things move towards the promise of a new covenant in Christ. And so when we get to Isaiah, where we're studying at the moment, our very passage this week sort of has um, you know, implicit inferences about this new covenant in Isaiah 55. It's also in Jeremiah 31, it's in Ezekiel 36. These major prophets, particularly in the back half of the book, sort of hold out this great hope of a new covenant, which will um, not replace but fulfill everything that's been promised to this point. It'll all be brought together in this Christ who will come. Uh, who we know is Jesus. Um, so we need to see that we are part of a covenant, the new covenant, uh, which is faith in Christ who has paid for our rejection of God and that we um, are therefore the heirs of these promises that have been uh, passed through God's people you know, all the way through the Old Testament and find their fulfillment in this one that was promised. Um, why does that matter? Well, I guess because... Um, in Isaiah 55, for example, it'll say at the end of our passage in verses 12 and 13, well, the people coming back from exile 600 years before Christ are to um, be aware that they're coming back to the promised land. And this is part of uh, God uh, continuing to stand by his people. And yet the language that is used is far beyond the return to Jerusalem. It's of a new creation. It's of heaven. Right. And that relates to all those who will trust in Jesus to come, including ourselves today. And so our understanding of heaven is then tied to previous covenant and understanding of the way God was relating to the people of Israel. And I think we appreciate more what we have in Jesus what we look forward to in heaven when we understand the promises God made earlier and how they were always pointing forward to this these greater promises in his son. Mm, cool. Wow. Well, that was like a very comprehensive, big sweep from um, <laughs> Genesis to Revelation, really. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, changing gears again now, just picking up on a, a different angle within your talk. Um, you were talking about um, how every human being uh, thirsts and that ultimately God alone can quench that desire that is imprinted in the heart of humanity. Um, and so I've got I know, two questions sort of related to that, I guess. Um, and I'll ask the first one now, which is more talking about uh, people who are already Christians mm. and who heard that message. Um, what should we be doing if we feel like we are no longer thirsting 
for the Lord and not because it's like a, oh, I feel, you know, so satisfied, but just a kind of dry Mm. indifference. Yeah, I think the first thing to realize is not to panic, that believers will go through dry periods at time. Um, There can be different reasons for that. I think it is good to try and ascertain why it is that we're feeling like that to understand where that came from because it could be, for example, um, because someone has faced uh, particular hurts. Um, It could be, um, you know, a breakdown of a relationship, even with another Christian at church. Um, And so I'm hurt by certain events and that's caused me to perhaps have doubts about God or maybe to withdraw a little bit from his people and then I feel dry because I'm not having the fellowship or the encouragement I had and so there's there's a reason why I find myself where I'm at and that could be helpful because I need to deal with those root causes mm. as well uh, you know it could be suffering God allows something to happen in our life mm. that's really hard and that causes us perhaps to distance ourselves a bit from God maybe I don't then pray as much as I did because I think oh you know, why has God allowed this or he's let me down somehow? This shouldn't have happened in my life. And I sort of intentionally or even subconsciously pull back a bit from God. But in doing so, of course, if I don't spend as much time reading his word or praying, then I'll feel dry and my relationship will suffer with the Lord. Um, you know, it could be because of worldly influence. So I've just found myself surrounded by non-Christian influences that have sort of dragged me away and I'm more concerned about my career or my possessions or other things and they've got a real hold on my heart and I'm finding that I'm feeling dry in my relationship with the Lord but it's because I've allowed, if you like, some idols to creep in that have really mm-hmm. taken my attention away from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there can be a whole series of things and if so, if we recognize one of those things, for example, in our life, then we need to deal with that. I need mm-hmm. to process that hurt. I need to understand God's sovereignty even over suffering i need to let go of those worldly idols perhaps because they're going to continue to be a blockage and keep me you know feeling dry in my walk with the lord unless i deal with that um on the flip side like they are dealing with perhaps the root cause you know we need those things that i've just spoken about so we we need to be praying more not less we need to be reading god's word or um, reading Christian books or having input into our life, listening to podcasts, whatever it might be that it, you know is encouraging us and spurring us on rather than drifting from God, mm. hiding from him. I, I need more input um, and I need input from his people. So if I've been pulling back from fellowship, you know, I, I need to be surrounded by other Christians. It's very hard to live the Christian life in isolation mm. and this COVID period's you know, proving that in some it's ways. Really hard. Yeah. Side note: If this is you and it's striking a chord, um, our Sunday gatherings are still a thing. So you sign up, be in fellowship with some people from our church. Don't just sit at home alone, feeling yeah. dry and sad. That's right. <laughs> There's people here that want to be in relationship with you. Yeah. Yeah, and from the 27th of September, we'll be having you know a limited number here at church again to to meet. So maybe that meets a need for you in right. a different way. Yeah. So uh, I guess. <laughs> check out our website there'll be details for both of those things on there um in the next coming weeks and things um yeah, yeah okay so if we're do you have any advice for those of us who can't figure out the reason for our dryness like we can't mm. point to a particular cause yeah um i i think we've just got to um persist and lean into god more and not drift away like yeah. i was saying so it may not be clear to us um there may not be something to repent of or 
um, some issue that's caused a hurt that we've got to process. It, it could just be that we're we're struggling. Perhaps we're just really tired, you know, and we're um, um, we may be overly busy. Maybe we're not getting the sleep we need. Like there can be lots of things mm. that can sort of cause us to feel um, a bit dry in our faith. So regardless of what it is, I think we've just got to invest more in spending more time in God's Word and re- hearing things, listening to things um, you know, from Christian input, um, praying more, finding others to pray with if it's hard to pray mm. by myself, having more time with other believers and just seeking out their encouragement, mm. getting them, sharing with them. You know, yeah. If you're in a prayer triplet or you meet one-on-one, there's a perfect chance to yeah. say, look, this is how I'm going. I need your encouragement. Yeah. Can you pray for me about this? Yeah. Um, and so often we don't have those people in our life because we're not engaging at that level. Mm. And that um, is perhaps something we need to do. We mm. need to see that, um, you know, even just um, gathering on a Sunday or in a person's home at the moment to watch a service online is is not providing enough mm input to spur me on in my faith and i I need more than that Mm -hmm. so reach out and and get that help and Mm. encouragement what it sounds like is that there is definitely um a required uh activeness you can't just be passive and sit back and kind of wait for Mm. something to happen you'd actually be pursuing this yeah yeah okay well that's really helpful thanks um in your third point i think it came from in your talk um, we were kind of talking about look, looking forward to heaven and, and longing for heaven um, and kind of allowing that longing to impact how we live now and to inform the decisions we make and the things that we um, pursue and value and things. And my question then is like, should we be discontent then in our earthly life? Um how can we live lives that are both satisfied and grateful for the blessings that we do already experience here and now and yet remain always longing and looking forward to more in heaven? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. Um, I think at one level we should always be somewhat restless in this life Mm. because we realize it isn't everything. I don't know whether discontent is the word um, because I think we can find a level of contentment in this life. Um, The contentment is more in God and focusing on what he has blessed us with or given us. You know, so Philippians 4, Paul will say he's content in any and every circumstance. And he's particularly talking about material wealth, actually. He said, Mm. you know, well, I was content when I had nothing. I'm content when I have plenty. I've learnt the secret of contentment and it's all about just being satisfied in Christ. Um, so, yeah, contentment may not be... Um, discontentment may not be the word for how we should feel, but there should be at least be a, a restlessness or a sense that this is not it, that this is not home. Mm. And if I find myself really wanting to put roots down here and sort of planning out my future and how I'm going to sort of look after myself as it were here or have the things that surround me or the people that make me feel Mm. like everything is good then perhaps i'm holding on to this life too much Um, i need to hand things over to god hold them more loosely Mm. um i think that's part of it um we don't want to put down roots here because this is not it um but we do i think the other thing that helps us is to be thankful so yeah, we need to appreciate all these good gifts that God has given. There's nothing wrong with enjoying his wonderful creation or the people he's blessed us with in our life or, you know, whatever it might be. But 
those things can be selfish inward things unless I hold them loosely and give thanks to God for them and just mm. acknowledge that they're just something he's given me for a time. Right. And he may give them, he might take them away. Mm. Um, we don't know what tomorrow brings, so we just have to acknowledge these are good gifts. Um, and I think that humbles us if we have that attitude of thankfulness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we approach everything with a level of humility. And I think the other thing is we've got to approach it with a kingdom focus. If it's just about me and my kingdom, as it were, or looking after myself and my little um, life, and I'm not outwardly think, thinking about how God is using the people around me or can use me to uh, bring other people to know Christ and to see that as the most important thing, then I'm, I'm losing perspective. Um, and I think, um, you know, James 4 would tell us, don't get too carried away with our plans. You know, what are you? You're a mist. You're here today, gone tomorrow. Mm. Say so if the Lord wills it, like mm. don't get too. So sometimes we get, you know, I'm doing this over the next 20 years. I'm going to do this, that and the other. And I think if we hear ourselves saying that, then we're like, oh, we need to pull back a little bit. Right. Now, that doesn't mean we can't plan, that we can't be thoughtful about our lives, that everything happens randomly moment to moment. But we've got to be careful that we don't, speak or act as if we're in control and that we're sort of planning things for ourselves mm. we've got to be saying what do you want in my life lord um and being humble about that and i think paul would say in colossians 3 verses 1 to 4 you know fix your eyes on heaven not on earthly things and what he's saying again is what i think our passage we were applying at the end of isaiah 55 to have this heavenly perspective that will bring what is currently happening into its right place mm. we won't elevate it beyond what it is mm. we'll realize that it's part of this passing fleeting life and that there's something greater that god's calling me towards and i need to invest and think now in ways that build that future eternal you know the only thing we can take with us that are eternal are people mm. so am i investing in people so that I might know jesus and be there mm. on that last day or am I chasing things now that are just, we know that will be gone, that are of no point, that are just mm. the trinkets of this world? Mm. Um, yeah. And so to keep analyzing that, that's hard. Um, but I think we've got to keep reflecting, taking stock in our life. Mm. Where am I at? Where, where is, what am I placing priority on? So much of the Christian life is that, isn't it? It's just like reflecting and reevaluating and yeah. course correcting and all of that. But, um, my last question for you uh, kind of ties into some of that stuff about investing in people mm. and um, the earlier question I asked too about thirsting for the Lord. Uh, in your first point, um, you you were talking about how um, ultimately everybody is thirsting for God, whether they are, you know, they might be trying to meet that need in some other activity or person, but ultimately the heart's desire of each person is to be reconciled to God. That's the that's the ultimate thing that we need. Mm. My question then is like, how can we help others see their need for Jesus when it seems that actually they are completely satisfied with the lives that they have now? They're not thirsting for anything. <laughs> yes, no, it's a big question. Um, I think Paul would say in two Corinthians four that at one level um, we can't help people see their need um like he say there you know the god of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of christ so 
at one level, we need the supernatural intervention of God for mm. somebody to see their need and to realize that they're missing something mm. and that they need Christ. Um, having said that, humanly speaking, you know, what can we do? Um, well, I think, um, you know, people need to see um, that they're finding their security in something that is not certain. So, you know, if we have a friend who, you know, has put all their eggs, as it were, in the basket of material possessions, which could be taken away, you know, they might lose their job tomorrow. Mm. Um, if we have a strength of friendship where we can talk about these deeper questions and say, well, you know, what is satisfying for you? What are you holding on to? Where is your security? And then they say, well, it's in these things that I'm collecting. Mm. And you say, well, what if those things go? What then? Um, mm. Because sometimes people haven't thought that through or they know that it sits uncomfortably in the back of their mind, but they don't want to go there because mm. they just want to think that they'll be the lucky one and mm. they won't lose their job or they won't have any major suffering or health issues and you know, whatever it might be. And that they'll just cruise through life and so these things they're collecting will satisfy them. Mm. I think we've got to raise doubts with them and say, well, that's not really lasting. Um, you know, at the moment we're running Christianity Explored and... Yes. Um, yeah, my group started on Monday night and, cool. um, and it was exciting. We were chatting about things and um, a couple of guys that had really co good comments. Um, but they are clearly already thirsting for right. the Lord. Um, God's already been at work in their life. Mm. And so, um, but I, I, I guess, yeah, when a person comes to something like that and you're trying to explain how wonderful Jesus is and they don't see the need and they're fully satisfied, it seems, mm. I think all we can do is... Um, yeah, I guess probe a bit and just see where, what it is they're holding on to mm. and whether they see that those things are more flimsy than they realize. Mm. And just saying, look, you know, they're flimsy in my life too. And that's why that's not what I'm holding on to. I've found yes. something better in Jesus. And I'll tell you why this is lasting because mm. it's not just for this 70 or 80 years. You know, mm. this goes on into eternity. And, um, and I think we've got to be able to get better as believers of talking about um, all the spiritual blessings that come with Christ, the hope that we have of heaven. You know, I think if we get better at talking about heaven and, and what we're longing for and, mm. and what we find is more solid, then perhaps we're all the more, you know, can convey that joy that we have, that things in this life can't offer. Um, I guess I was arguing in the sermon that, you know, the joys we find in this life are superficial and fleeting. Yeah. You know, they're momentary. Oh, I saw a beautiful sunset. Well, that's great. And that's a gift from God, but it's there and then it's gone, yeah. you know. And so much of life is like that. Yeah. Is there something that's more lasting? You know, mm. I, th I think within the human heart, we're longing for something more lasting. Uh, this is why people worry about their legacy. You know, what will happen after they're gone? Mm. Um, what influence have they had on those around them? Mm. Well, that's a good question. But the very fact that you're asking that question means you long for something more than just what's here today and gone tomorrow. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.